Our sermon series, our present sermon series, is Keys uh, to Spiritual Growth, which has brought us to the uh, subject of spiritual warfare. Every child of God has been enlisted as a soldier in God's army, and we have been deployed into the world with the mission to rescue people from captivity to the devil. In fulfilling our mission, we will be met with heavy resistance from the devil, who will simply not let his captives go free without a fight. Uh, last Sunday, we began to examine the armor that God has provided the church, which enables us not only to stand firm against the enemy, but to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we looked at the first two pieces of armor, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. So what I'd like to do is begin with a very brief review of what we looked at last Sunday, and then we're going to move forward looking at the next two pieces of armor, which are the gospel boots and the shield of faith. So I hope you uh, picked up a copy of the sermon notes, and so look again one more time at Ephesians 6, verses 11, 12, 13. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Now, from those verses, we made four observations. The first one, life is war. We have to accept that reality as believers. Every one of us wish we could spend our lives in unbroken tranquility, uh, enjoying loved ones and fellowship with God's people. But reality is, the devil, our enemy, will not let us rest. Uh, in the devil, we have an enemy that will be relentless. He is ruthless in his attacks against God's people. And with the devil, there will literally be no end of hostilities. There's not even going to be a brief cease fire until our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns to earth to win the final battle and in the war. Amen? Amen? The second observation, the war is against supernatural evil powers. The war is against supernatural evil powers. Although it often appears our battle is with people, the real battle is with invisible powers which use people as pawns to do their bidding. And this is why we read in 2 Corinthians we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. And, of course, those mighty weapons are the armor that God has provided for us. The third observation, there is the danger of defeat. There is the danger of defeat. In other words, if I fail to appropriate the armor that God has provided, uh, it's not going to end well for me. It would be like uh, one of our U.S. soldiers uh, going into battle 
with absolutely no defensive or offensive capabilities. And that would be absolute suicide. And it would be no different for you and I in spiritual warfare trying to engage the enemy without that armor. But then the fourth observation, and praise God for this, God has made the provision for victory. God has made the provision for a complete, full victory. But this implies that we put the armor on. It implies that we utilize the armor that God has given us. And the spiritual armor listed here in Ephesians 6 is patterned after the armor and the weapons of a Roman soldier in the day of the Apostle Paul who wrote this passage. So uh, let's again review these first two pieces of armor. First, the belt of truth. I uh, see Ephesians 6, 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Uh, the phrase, having girded your lo- loins, means to be ready, to be prepared. So here in 6, 14, it means to be ready and prepared to fight. We talked about how the Roman soldiers wore a long tunic that went all the way down to the ground. But when they went into battle... They would take that tunic and they would tuck it underneath their belt for mobility on the battlefield. And so it has this concept that the first thing we need to do is to become ready to be prepared to fight. And what makes us prepared and ready? Truth. It's the belt of truth. God's Word. God's Word which provides an absolute and objective standard outside of ourselves to discern between good and evil, truth and error, friend and foe. But, as we saw last week, we must also bring the right attitude to God's truth, and that is an attitude of being totally committed to obey it, to obey God's marching orders. And so the application there in your notes is being prepared and ready to follow Christ into battle regardless the sacrifice and cost. It is not the half-hearted soldier who wins the battle. It is the soldier committed to obey orders and accomplish the mission that he has been given even if it cost him his life. As Paul boldly proclaimed, for to me to live is what? Christ and to die is gain. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 there in your notes. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And we talked about the fact we need to keep first things first. And the first thing is to complete the mission that God has given us. Everything else is secondary. And that mission is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and to rescue people from captivity to the devil. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The latter part of verse 14, he says simply, "...in having put on the breastplate of righteousness." And we talked about the fact that a, the purpose of a soldier's breastplate was to protect his heart and the vital organs in the midsection of his body. The Jews associated the heart, do you remember what we talked about last week? Associated the heart with what? The mind, the thinking processes, and the midsection of the body with emotions. 
Which are the two primary areas where the devil attacks us? The devil will try to create in your mind doubt about God's truth and his promises. He will try to overwhelm you with negative emotions in order to overcome your will and paralyze you in sin and unbelief. What protects your minds and your emotions? The breastplate of Christ righteousness, which gives God's child right standing with God, a standing with God not based on performance, but simply His mercy. And through that righteousness, we're given access to God's presence 24-7 to confess all sin, to be cleansed of all unrighteousness, and to be empowered by God to walk in righteousness, because our victory will be found in integrity, in purity of heart and life. So the application there in your notes is maintaining clear thinking and stable emotions in the heat of the battle by practicing righteousness. And the key word there you might want to underline is practicing. So maintaining clear thinking and stable emotions in the heat of the battle by practicing righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34, awake to righteousness. And do not sin. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So today, we come to the third and the fourth pieces of armor. And that third armor is the gospel boots, the gospel boots. Look at verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now all the soldiers in here know that many wars have been lost simply because soldiers did not have adequate covering for their feet. Uh, this was a very, very important piece of a Roman soldier's armor. Roman soldiers wore boots that had very uh, thick, uh, protective uh, soles uh, with little bits of metal uh, attached protruding from the uh, bottom, sort of like uh, cleats on uh, football shoes. And this provided the Roman soldier firm footing, enabling them to make very quick moves on the battlefield without slipping and falling. Now, let me make what I believe is... Uh, an extremely important observation about this uh, verse. Notice, it does not say that our feet have been shod with the gospel of peace. It doesn't say that. It says that our feet have been shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, that word translated preparation, it's hedemoisai in the Greek text, and it just literally means readiness. Readiness. Paul uses this same word in Titus 3.1 when he exhorts believers to be ready for every good deed. Therefore, we would accurately 
paraphrase verse 15 by saying, let your feet be ready to move with the gospel of peace. And this leads us to our application. Here it is. Being prepared to move with the gospel, to advance the gospel, to share the gospel with the lost in taking the offensive against the devil. That's the truth right here with the gospel boots, that we need as God's people to be prepared to move, to seize the opportunities to advance the gospel, to seize the opportunities to share the gospel with the lost, because we want to take the offensive against the devil. And it is almost certain that when Paul wrote verse 15, that he was thinking of Isaiah 52 verse 7 that you see there in your notes. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. See, this verse pictures the feet of a person running to bring the good news of peace, happiness, and salvation. God did not create the church to be a stationary army barricaded behind the four walls of a building. God created the church to be a mobile fighting force that would always be on the move to bring the good news to a lost world. The good news that Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, secured peace between good and man and secured an eternal salvation for all who will place their faith in Christ and surrender to God's reign. Now, please take your Bibles. And I want you to turn to Matthew 16. These verses are not in your sermon notes, but I want to make uh, this cross-reference. Turn to Matthew 16, and I want us to look at verses 13 and 18, through 18 for a moment, which is the very first place in the entire Bible that the church is mentioned. First time that the church is ever mentioned, and I want you to see what Jesus has to say about the church that he was going to create going forward. Matthew 16, I'll begin reading at verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples. This was sort of, he had already been uh, uh, walking with these men uh, two, two and a half years. So this is sort of like a, a final exam. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? That's what he's asking. And... Uh, they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. There it is. And the gates of hell will not overpower it. Now notice, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And my church is going to be so powerful that even the powers of hell will not be able to overpower it. Not even the powers of hell will be able to stop it. 
And then Jesus said the church would be built, and this I think this is important to notice because there has been some confusion here, not on Peter, but on Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, it's very obvious, of course, that Jesus is making a play on words and using Peter's name, which literally means rock. But when Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, the word rock is Petra, which is a different word than Peter's name, which is Petros. Matter of fact, Petra is a feminine form of the word rock. Therefore, he could not be referring to Peter. And in classical Greek, the word Petra referred to a number of small stones. This is beautiful. It referred to a number of small stones that became connected to form one large slab. Think of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 which actually describes the church as individual living stones that are built up by God into what? One spiritual temple. So you put all this together and you see that the church is made up of many individuals who confess the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior And then they are united and connected together by God to form a large, solid rock that literally will roll over hell. That's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. Now, two observations from this. First, Jesus ordained the church and the church alone to be victorious over the devil. This means if you isolate yourself from the church, you are just easy pickings for the devil. This is why church involvement is so important. We live in a day where everyone is tied into the, what, electric church, the TV, the Internet. And I I praise God for that blessing and uh, things we can gain from that. But that should never, ever become a substitute of getting plugged in, involved, invested in a local church family where you are rubbing shoulders and fellowshipping with God's people. Because if you do not, if you isolate yourself, you are like a soldier out in enemy territory that becomes separated from his unit. I remember years ago there was that tragic story, you may remember it, in Iraq. Uh, where this happened to a group of soldiers. They got separated uh, from their unit, and it did not end well. And how long do you think you're going to last if you try to do it isolated, on your own? So my advice is, before you get captured by the enemy, you need to make your way back to the unit. You need to make your way back to the church, because united we stand, but divided, separated, we will fall. Second observation, and the most important that I would like to emphasize, is that Jesus created the church to be on the move, to be on the offensive, to storm the very gates of hell. That's the picture. It's not the devil storming the gates of the church. It's the church on the move storming the gates of hell. And I'm absolutely convinced from my own life 
and after 40 years of ministry, that the reason so many Christians and so many churches become defeated is because they are always trying to fight from a defensive posture, and they never take the offensive. They're always backpedaling, trying to uh, find cover, uh, trying to maintain the status quo and not be overpowered by the devil. They will fuss about the devil, all the damage and the destruction that he's causing. They'll complain about his temptations, and oh, they wish that he would stop. But I got news for you. The devil is the devil, and he's never going to stop his destructive work. And if you are a believer, you are his target. And if this is Christ's church, he will do everything in his power to divide us, to destroy us, or at least render us ineffective in advancing the gospel of Christ. So at what point are we basically going to say as individual believers and as a church family, enough is enough. And begin to take up the offensive. It's sort of like our battle with terrorism. You know, you can, you can just sit around and wait until they come after you. Or you can take up the offensive and go after them. Kill them before they kill you. And that's the thought here. It's, it's for the church to take the offensive. Now, going back to Ephesians 6, we must always be ready to move with the gospel. That's the point. To advance the gospel of Christ in taking the offensive. And so it's imperative that we as a church family, we as individual believers, because we're only as strong as our weakest link, we have to embrace the priority of the gospel. The priority of reaching the lost with the gospel of Christ. Jesus said what? Go into all the world and what? Share the gospel with all creation. He said, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. He said, Jesus said, what? Follow me and I will what? I will make you fishers of men. That one verse sums up the Christian life. What is God's plan for you as a believer? Follow him. There it is. Just follow him. For what purpose? He wants to make you a fisher of men. He wants to form his life in you to be displayed through you. So that you not only visually have the opportunity to put him on display, to exalt and magnify Jesus, but verbally you will be given the opportunity to share him with others and to lead others to Christ. And what's the power that we do that in? Jesus says, I will make you fisher of men. We can't do it in our strength. We can't do it in our wisdom and understanding, but only as we lean on God's power and strength. We must adopt the attitude of the Apostle Paul who said this in Acts 20, verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, that is a soldier's mentality. Paul recognized, I'm a soldier of Christ. I've been given a mission. Everything else is secondary to that mission. And so I'm focused on accomplishing the job that God has given me. And that's the attitude every believer, every church needs to adopt as we embrace the priority of the gospel and to reach the lost for Christ. I love this quote by John Piper along these lines. He says, a ready offense is an essential part of a successful defense. 
giving the gospel away is one of the best ways of experiencing its power in your own life. Matter of fact, I would say that the reason he's given us the Holy Spirit is to empower us to be his witnesses. Because what did he say in Acts? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be what? My witnesses. So God has taken up residence in our hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit for the express purpose for Jesus to be seen, for Jesus to be put on display, and that to give us the wisdom and the anointing and the empowerment to share him with others. He says the best way to taste the power of God for your own soul is to venture something on it. It's the great old truth of the Lord himself when he said, He who loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The more ready we are to move with the gospel, the more life and power and joy and security we will know in the gospel. In giving, we will receive. In dying, we will live. And in telling the gospel, we will hear it again with oh so much more depth and power and joy. Amen? So we are to adorn ourselves with the gospel boots, ready to move forward to advance the gospel of Jesus. Look at the shield of faith, the next or the fourth piece of armor in verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. There were two different types of shields used in the Roman army. First, there was a very small round shield that a Roman soldier would strap to his forearm that he would use to block blows in close hand-to-hand combat. This is not the shield that is referred to here in verse 16. The word shield is therion in the Greek, which refers to what was known as the Roman scutum shield. This was a very, very large shield. It literally measured four and a half feet by two and a half feet, which was used for protection against arrows dipped in pits, which were then lit and fired at soldiers as flaming missiles. And these fiery angels could literally rain down on an advancing army by the thousands. The shield was designed so that it was large enough that the soldier could get completely behind it for full protection. It was also designed to lock together with others to form a wall in front and a roof overhead, which enabled the entire army to advance against the enemy under protective covering. Now, doesn't that tie into what we just said about putting on the gospel boots? We find our victory, what, in unity. And you see that as they would unite their shields, providing that wall of protection, that roof. But when they did that, did they hunker down? No. They did it to what? Advance against the enemy. Now, what does the shield of faith do? Well, of course, it's obvious. It extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And the flaming arrows simply represent all the temptations that Satan shoots at us, that Satan attacks us with. Satan wants one of his fiery arrows 
to pierce you in order to ignite you with the destructive fires of sin, unbelief, and disobedience. His goal is to destroy your testimony, to wound you, to render you ineffective to be able to advance the gospel, to be able to share the gospel. And what is your protection against Satan's fiery arrows? The shield of faith. And what is the shield of faith? We do not need to make this difficult. The, the faith mentioned here, it's not that initial saving faith, converting faith, but a living faith, a faith that each and every day, each and every moment of every day, trusts and obeys God in any and every situation. I like what Pastor Tony Evans said. Y'all know Pastor Tony Evans, by the way, uh, I don't think I've announced this yet. We're very, very excited about this. Uh, He will be our speaker for the Sound Choices Gala, uh, which is Tuesday, October 24th. So uh, get that date down, and that should be a very exciting evening. But this is what Pastor Evans said. You take up, I love this, you take up the shield of faith when you take the truth you amen on Sunday and live it out on Monday. That's the shield of faith. Faith is just trusting and obedience. The best definition I know of faith is trusting obedience. If I trust God, I'm going to obey Him. If I'm obeying Him, it's obvious I'm trusting Him. Look at the application, therefore, in your sermon notes. I extinguish the fiery temptations of the devil by trusting God, His Word, and my comrades in arms. As we link shields, as we continue to advance, Psalm 18.30, I love this verse. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proved. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. And then 1 John 5.4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Let me close with... uh, uh, as I was preparing this, it, this just struck me that this particular Bible story or biblical is a, it beautifully depicts these first four pieces of armor that we've looked at. It's, it's, it's a story that I've shared many times here at Edgewood. It's one that has great significance for me personally because it was through this very passage that God led me into pregnancy center ministry uh, Many, many years ago, uh, back in the spring of uh, 1972, in a very unique encounter with God. But, the, but and, and let me just recall the story for you. Uh, it's, it's the Battle of Jericho. Uh, there in Joshua 5, Joshua 6, and uh, if you're familiar with the story, let me just quickly rehearse it for you. And then to show you how these first four pieces of armor just so wonderfully mesh with this story. Um, the children of Israel have just crossed the Jordan River. Uh, they're, they're in the promised land. God's given them the order to what? Move. Advance. Possess the land. Very similar to our mission to advance the gospel, to set the captives free, to possess uh, in faith for Christ. And, uh, and so he... Fifth chapter, he gets off by himself on one of the hills that overlook the valley where this military fortress of Jericho was situated. Uh, The greatest military fortress in all of Canaan that was staring them right in the face. And he knew if they were going to go forward, if they were going to advance and accomplish God's mission, 
somehow they were going to have to get the victory over Jericho, which in Bible days, that was considered a literally an invincible military fortress because of its tremendous walls, not to mention the great powerful soldiers that were behind those walls to defend the city. And if you're familiar, he's on one of these hills, he's by himself out in enemy territory, he's trying to figure out what's my strategy going to be? How am I going to deploy our army to get the victory? All of a sudden, he realizes he's not alone. And he looks to his side and Joshua sees a man with his what? Sword drawn. All he sees is a man, he's in enemy territory, a man with his sword drawn. He doesn't know if this is friend or foe. And so he asks the logical question, are you for us or are you against us? And then came the answer he wasn't really ready for. And this is the more literal rendering from the Hebrew text. Jesus, uh, Joshua says, are you for us or are you against us? The reply, neither. But as captain of the Lord's host, I am has come not to take sides but to take over. And when he heard those words, he knew he was not in the presence of a man. He was in the presence of God. And he did the only sensible thing you can do in the presence of God. He put his face in the ground. He laid out prostrate before God. And he said the only sensible thing you can say in the presence of God. He said, what saith my Lord to his servant? And then don't miss Christ's answer, the pre-incarnate Christ, his answer to that question. He says, Joshua, take off your shoes, boy. Because you are on holy ground. And the fifth chapter ends by saying, and Joshua did so. But then it's in that same encounter as you move to the sixth chapter that he's then given the strategy for Jericho. And if you're familiar with it, would have made absolutely no sense to a military commander like Joshua. This is what I want you to do, Joshua. I want, I want you and the people, priest out in front and everything. I want for six days, I want you to march around the city once. And don't say nothing, don't play any horns, just silently march. But on the seventh day, I want you all to march around seven times, and then I want the priest to blow those horns, and then I want the people to shout, and I'm going to give you the victory. I'm going to bring those walls, come tumbling down, you can rush in, it's yours. And of course, you know the story, as they obeyed God's orders, although the orders made no sense, seemed ridiculous, there had to be some a little bit of emotional difficulty in embracing it and doing it and not thinking you're a fool. But as they obeyed God, his supernatural power was released and he got the victory. Now notice how that's a beautiful example of these first four pillars. Where did we begin? The belt of truth. What does the belt of truth represent? Being ready and prepared to go into battle regardless of cost and price. And what did Joshua say? What saith my Lord to his servant. See, that's it. That's the attitude we're talking about. We come to God. We come to his, what do you have to say to me? Because I'm ready. I'm prepared to obey, to go forward, regardless of what you ask me to do, regardless of how I, inadequate I may feel, how silly it may seem, how ridiculous it may be, I'm ready to obey. And then the breastplate of righteousness. Where do you see that? Because Jesus made it very, very clear to Joshua that his victory would be integrity and purity. Because he said, take off your shoes, boy, because you're on holy ground. He said, Joshua, your, your whole focus needs to be on me, becoming like me, knowing righteousness and integrity. Leave the outcome, leave the results, leave the battle to me. As long as you focus on me, you can't lose. 
And I, we need to establish one thing and nail it down, Joshua. Power to defeat the enemy is found only in purity of heart and life. And it's the same thing with the devil, the breastplate of righteousness. Power to defeat our enemy lies in purity of heart and life. And then the gospel boots. We've already alluded to that. It's obvious, the connection. The children of Israel were given the command to what? To advance, to move. In other words, they didn't wait for Jericho to attack them. They took the offensive and stormed the gates of Jericho. Same thing with us. We're not to sit, barricade ourselves behind these four walls, wait for the devil's attack. No, we're to get outside these four walls, and we're to take the battle to the devil, take the offensive to the devil. And then the shield of faith. What did we say the shield of faith? It's trusting and obeying God's word. And what a beautiful example of, of Joshua and the children who trusted God, obeyed his word, although they didn't understand it. Again, it had to have seemed ridiculous to them and almost embarrassing, emotionally difficult to do it. But as they obeyed God, they found the victory. Amen? And that shield of faith. So I admonish us as God's people uh, to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel boots, and then have that shield of faith connected to one another to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we go into our invitation, again, I just trust right there in your pew, you may want to come to the altar and kneel down. Just adorn yourself with those four pieces of armor uh, in light of what we've just shared. Uh, Ask God to be your teacher. You know, I, I love that verse that I alluded to earlier. Follow me, and I will make you to be a fisher of men. You know, it's God's power, not my power. And so what God wants me to do is make myself available. God, I'm here. What saith my Lord to his servant? I'm yours. I've already settled the issue. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to debate. Once I hear your orders, once I see your truth in God's word, I'm, I'm obeying it. But it's very obvious, I'm totally dependent upon your power to provide the adequacy for me, for your strength to be perfected in my, my, my weakness. So yes, we can't do it, but through him, we can do what? All things. Uh, possibly you're here and looking for a church family. We would love for you to become a part of the Edgewood family. And in our tradition, we would ask you at an invitation to make your way down to the aisle to introduce yourself to me indicating your desire to be a part of the church family. That begins the process that will take you through to full membership, but it also gets your face before our people where they can begin to know you, love you, pray for you, and where you begin to interact uh, with them or any recent public profession of faith. So please stand as the invitation is extended, and uh, any decision, I'll be here to greet you.